Discover how you can green your life by building a knowledge base of current sustainable and eco-savvy trends. This series will delve into hot topics, current standards and practices, ways to design better spaces, and specify materials that benefit not only us as consumers, but the world as a whole. Members of Caragreen, as sustainable materials distributors, and other industry leaders weigh in throughout the series. This is Build Green, Live Green. Hi, this is Jessica with Build Green, Live Green, and I'm excited to welcome Amy Gath, the VP of Marketing and Strategy for Formica, to our podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jessica. This is great. I'm so excited I got to meet you down in Florida earlier this year at the Material Bank um, sales kickoff. It was great to kind of share ideas and hear from you. And you've got some great insights and you you certainly changed my perspective on Formica as a company um, because I just had some kind of preconceived notions about, you know, it being strictly a, a high pressure laminate or HPL um, company. And you guys have really branched out since then. Can you talk about some of your newer product categories and how those came to be? We absolutely have it. And I will say, so Formica turns 110 years old this year. Um, and certainly our history is high pressure laminate. But back in 2019, we were acquired by a company called Broadview Holding out of Europe. And what the Broadview family has brought to us is a whole range of new products. One of them is the brand Phoenix, which is an acrylic-based surfacing technology. It's Italian. It's soft touch. It is really amazing. We've also gotten paired up with Trespa, which is an exteriors company, and I think folks know it from the large panel geometric exteriors, as well as they have a planks exterior product. And then, of course, it's brought us more Italian design with another laminate company, ARPA. So it's been fun to have this kind of broader family of surfaces to bring to the North American market. Yes, I'm familiar with Trespa. I think they also, laptops? That's correct. Yep. Right? Yeah. So yep. it's kind of like they they compete to some degree on the interior space with our Paperstone product. Um, but, you know, just kind of super durable. Well, that that's fun because that kind of takes you into, you know, a new challenge. If, if you've been in the HPL world and you bring all these new brands in, and of course, Caragreen, we have 15 different brands that go from, you know, acoustic, solid surface, phenolic composites, recycled glass. So I'm kind of used to that. But a lot of manufacturers have one product category. So what were your challenges on the marketing side when all these new products come into the fold? What did you have to change to kind of to, to address those or adapt your marketing strategy to be able to include all of those new categories? I think it was a couple of things. First, it was really understanding where each product fits with the customer base and having a really tight positioning and a, and a good kind of insight-based insight understanding of who the customer is for each product was really the, the key piece. And then making sure that they, they didn't overlap. To some extent, you don't want them to, to compete with each other. I don't want, I don't want to cannibalize myself. Um, so key piece to that was just around insights. And then from there, really understanding kind of the right channel. As an example, in Europe, Phoenix is very much a residential product. And so for Formica, which for the past at least 50 years, maybe not in our in our origins, but for the past 50 years has been more of a commercial focused product. Um, this has been exciting because Phoenix has really allowed us to get back into the residential market and talk to a whole new set of consumers. So, you know, the challenges have been around that. Are we tight in positioning? Do we understand the channels where they play? And then of course with exteriors, 
that's an entirely new a new set of rules. So learning that category and learning that set of customers as well has been has been a good challenge for us. And I think it makes us better marketers. One, we learn how to learn all these things. And two, it really challenges us to be kind of tight and concise about each of our brands. So let me ask you this, because I, I feel like I address this often in, in you know my role at Caregreen is when you talk about your customer, I feel like we sell to one group of people and we market to another group of people. And do you feel that that same way that, you know, in, in our case, you know, we, we, we market to architects and designers because we want them to specify our, us on the commercial side. And then we end up selling to the installers. Um, and do you have that challenge too? Because when you say customers, I'm thinking to myself, well, are they not? Are they marketing to end consumers? Are they marketing to A and D and end consumers? And how does that challenge your marketing efforts? Absolutely, uh, we very much face that. So we do market to both architects and designers who specify on the commercial side, but we also do some marketing to. Um, installers and fabricators and of course we sell to distributors so it is a challenge and I think the challenge is to really think about and allocate the dollars so that everybody is getting what they need on the residential side again we market to the homeowner but we sell to the kitchen and bath dealer or to the distributor who sells to the kitchen and bath dealer. So again, how do we allocate the dollars? How do we tell the story too? So that kind of that marketing is consistent. And I think that's a, a really big deal on the residential side, making sure that the story that we're telling those homeowners, those end users is the same story that kitchen and bath dealers are telling them or that distributors are telling their kitchen and bath dealers and and so part of that too is how do we spend our money and how do we allocate the time of our sales team well yeah and that, and that was actually going to be um my next question about about marketing so when when covid happened um whether it's still happening or not is is a debate <laughs> I won't get into, but um when when that happened and everything shut down there were a lot of strains put on, you know, sales and marketing, obviously. Um, but how did your marketing budget have to shift, right? I know how ours did internally, right? The things that we used to do that we weren't able to do anymore, we had to kind of reallocate those dollars. So what what shifts happened for you guys at that time and, and which were successful, which were not? And how has it changed your marketing strategy today? Absolutely. Um, I, you know what? I think there were some real silver linings coming out of the pandemic. And one of them was it really forced us to rethink how we're reaching our, our customers, our consumers, and, and, you know, try some things that we might not have tried otherwise. And I think an example would be certainly trade shows. There were no trade shows really for two years. So for us, those dollars then became reallocated to digital things to reach people at home. And so we used, we reallocated to digital selling tools. We did a fully virtual launch where we did almost a thousand people party online with samples and snacks and box openings. But it, it was something we never would have tried had we not been forced to, hey, we still want to do this launch. We know it's still important, um, but we can't have a trade show and we can't have live events. So what do we do? Um, and, and really coming out of that, I think we learned digitally what works for us. 
And I think we are much more confident in our digital platform investments because we know this is where our consumer is and this is what has been effective. And we also have a better sense of kind of how to monitor the analytics. What are the what are the KPIs that really matter? Um, so that that is truly a silver lining and it's been kind of fun. And you know some of the dollars have gone back. We're going to go back to Neocon this summer um, and exhibit again there. But other dollars, we, you know, we've not taken fully back to some of those tactics that we pursued pre-pandemic. So we had a similar experience kind of on, on the sales side of things. You know, all of a sudden we had invested in, in these online platforms similarly. And some of them were ending up driving our pipeline to an extent I had not expected or, or seen before. I didn't realize exactly how um, limiting, you know, in-person interaction can be in terms of the time commitment and the financial commitment required to generate a project lead. That project lead generation now, it can be done virtually. And, and we've had success with, with Material Bank and, um, you, know, you know, a couple other platforms that have, you know, brought us those, you know, kind of found these projects digitally that, that I don't, we didn't have a way to get them, to extract them um, online. I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, one of the benefits of some of these digital tools has been, we now have data that we didn't have before. And so there is this kind of better understanding of what's working, what's not working, and where people are specifying or buying. Um, and so, I, you know, that is, that's a huge benefit of this switch. I agree. And and we touched on this briefly, I think we were in Florida, but um, I never got to ask you. I just kind of stated it on behalf of us because I know I use the data analytics that I'm getting from these platforms to make decisions about what we're going to stock and buy and what's trending and what's popular. Do you do that same thing now that you have all this all this data that you can look at? Does it inform your decisions about you know new colors to introduce and things like that? It absolutely does. And it, it also informs much earlier what pieces of our launches are really working. And so, you know, I know if I'm giving out 100 plus samples of beige elm that I just launched every month, this is really a launch item that's successful. And so this is a direction we want to go further. I think the nice piece, too, is it's a good heads up to our supply chain forecasting guys like, hey, look, we're seeing these go out the door. We probably need to really watch the inventory and make sure we're prepared for this going forward. I, I love to have that kind of resources at our fingertips. Yeah, I think data, we really got into data, I would almost say because of the pandemic, when we started you know, just having time to, to look at things we probably didn't look at before. Um, and now, you know, we've got the opportunity to, to kind of dig into some of this. And then we now we've had to build infrastructure around that because it, it is so important, you know, to see, you know, okay. So, or in something as simple as like Pantone's announcing its color of the year and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, time for a new collection aligned with that or, or something like that. Yeah. So, and, and it's also, we do a lot of digital content like blog posts and, mm -hmm. you know, podcasts, newsletters. And so we use that data to inform how we market as well. I, I think that's really smart. I think it is exciting for us in, in this industry because previously really is consumer products have been very kind of one leg up on us because they get Nielsen, they get IRI every day, they're seeing that data. And so they've been able to be much more kind of 
tight in their marketing. And this is really elevated for all of us in this category, our, our marketing efforts. I think they're much better. And I think we're much smarter about our products, about our customers, our consumers. Well, that kind of leads me to, you know, the, the um, consumer side of it is also kind of like the business side of it. But I wanted to ask you about what you're doing about sustainability, because that does seem to be a big thing that consumers, you know, are asking for. Um, and, you know, basically, you know, ESG funding, all that kind of stuff is really, um, you know, taking into account sustainability, whether you agree with it or not, it is happening. And, and certainly with your um, experience with Italy and Europe, um, they are very focused on it. So what are your... Um, what are your initiatives there and how do you guys address sustainability at Formica? Absolutely. I mean, we've been, I think the one of the huge benefits of Broadview has been their focus on sustainability and they have a whole group. So our R&D Center of Excellence is called NEMO, um, Next Generation Material House. And within there sits a big group targeting sustainability. And so what that has given us is resources for us to really understand where we sit as a business. And so now we do a, a yearly life cycle assessment, really understanding how we're performing uh, with regards to the environment. And we look at carbon emissions, we look at water usage, and we look at energy usage. And then every year, we're holding ourselves to goals to reduce carbon emissions, to reduce water usage, and to reduce energy usage. And that's been pretty exciting. And so we're putting that out in a paper every year. Um, and it is a much bigger focus for our team as well. I think what's been great too is, and, and you all see this, right? The specification community is now demanding HPDs, EPDs, lots of documentation. And so now we have the data to support all the documentation and really tell the story um, to the design community as they make decisions. That's great. Yeah. I mean, sustainability, I, I think obviously that's a key part of our business and, and it's kind of sort of one of the, the platforms of this podcast. Um, but no, I think, uh, you know, sustainability obviously is, it's easy to look at it at a product level and people can say, you know, okay, now we're going to bark. Um, people can, you know, say, you know, laminate, you know, uh, you know, and, and, um, you know, focus in on the product and, 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 you know, kind of poke holes in a product category. But I think what you're talking about is sustainable is looking at sustainability holistically at the company level mm -hmm. where your biggest impact is across the board. Um, and that is a much more, you know, cohesive, complete way of looking at it, which is great. That's good to hear. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, you know, I think that I think that is part of an education that that we as as people who sell to the AMD community have to to them is to, to remind folks that it's not just a one product thing. Look at the overall impact of the portfolio of the company of because they're, you know, it is a bigger effort. And certainly with AIA's, you know, design carbon neutral by 2030, um, you can't just focus on one product. You need to look at the bigger picture of whom you're partnering with. Yeah, and the, and, and the footprint of the overall thing and kind of the ethos of the, of the companies involved. And in my industry, one of the big topics um, is, you know, in stone and, you know, in, in that part of what we do, the stone and, you know, uh, sintered stone and quartz Mm -hmm. um, a big topic is silica, silica, crystalline silica and silicosis, and that's not about the end consumer, and that's not about the manufacturing process necessarily, but it's about everyone in between that process from when it's manufactured to when it gets installed. Is anyone endangered in that process? And that, again, is kind of part of that more holistic look at things. 
Right. Nice. Okay. My last topic that I want to cover with you, and I, and I just love this from a marketing standpoint, because it's everywhere right now. It's, you know, everyone's talking about it, but you're such a smart lady and, you know, you've got this marketing challenge, um, you know, and all these different aspects. And then all of a sudden 2023 hits and here comes chat GPT, all this discussion about AI, Bing AI, um, what Google's doing, what is your take on this and how is it going to change the way that you guys do marketing going forward? I don't think there's a definitive answer, but I'm just interested to get your thoughts. Yeah. So, I, I mean, one thing I would say is we've been playing with versions of AI since 2017. And where we really started playing with it was on the search component of our website. Really kind of learning the people who are visiting our website, the kind of questions that they are asking, and then making sure that we're delivering answers that are relevant to them. And so I would say that kind of AI has been amazing because it allows us as marketers to better serve the needs of the people who are coming to us to learn about our products or to learn about our services. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that. And I'm super excited about AI just making us smarter about our consumers and their needs. ChatGPT is really interesting. I think I had you know, mentioned to you and my kids were like, oh, this means I don't have to write papers anymore. Yeah. And I, I, think it's, I think it's interesting because it certainly is a tool for helping us expand capacity. Marketing teams are notoriously small um, and every, you know, there's always more to do. But I think the, the caution becomes you don't want everything to sound the same and don't want to lose like that unique brand voice that really is why people choose brands. I agree. I think, I think to me, it was, you know, one of the things that I sometimes have to try to do is rein in my personality, right? Because, you know, and, and just be more informative and less, less myself. But now this is, this is like a switch flipped and it's like, personality is the thing now, like your personality and you and your identity and how you're unique yes. is what's going to differentiate you from what these AI bots are going to, you know, provide to everyone. So I was in my social media platform the other day looking at some posts and there's this AI caption generator. I was like, oh, that's yeah. so I hit it and I was like, that's good. That is really good. And I thought, oh my gosh, we are going to totally normalize the voice and the information. And it's going to, as much as it's, it's unique right now and it's mm -hmm. good, it's going to become so common that what is our differentiator going to be and i think it's 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 the forward thinkers that are going to figure out how to use it but keep your uniquity and in in your brand identity and your personality as part of things so um i'm 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 fascinated by what i'm reading about it um but i think it's going to be a really challenge a really big challenge for marketing departments especially those who haven't embrace change have been slow to embrace change and um you know they don't like new things this is coming on hot and heavy and fast and it's going to leave a lot of people in the dust I, I think that's absolutely right you bring up so many good points and i think you know one of the challenges to marketers in general is you need to be a constant learner and you need how to you need to learn to learn fast and this is one of those areas. Learn to learn fast so you know how to maintain your unique brand voice and how, how to use this tool or not to use this tool. 
Absolutely. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, a lot of information around this and it is evolving and it's kind of like, who's going to be the big winner? Who knows? It's not, and it's not just happening on the information space too. Like there's a few things in the marketing world kind of happening at the same time, right? You've got Mm -hmm. this AI thing that's happening. You've got, it's also happening in the image space. So you and I talked a little bit before the call about, um, doll e which is that image generator yeah um, that's fascinating too because now there's this ability to create these images and what does it do to graphic designers and marketing people you know where you know they have to shift now too to learn how to incorporate it and a lot of schools have already started set you know finding ways to not ban you know if someone wants to write your essay you know using chat gpt that's fine but my opinion is if they do that, when they get into that classroom, they should have 20 questions they have to answer specifically about their essay. Because the point is not, can you write a great essay? Are you learning, right? Are you learning the information? So you can still assess whether they're learning. If they have a bot write their essay and they can't answer those 20 questions, that's an F. If they have a bot write their essay yes. and they truly understand it, and then they can answer those 20 questions. Well done, yes. I, so, I agree. We're going to have to adapt. We, we absolutely are. And I think part of the, the exciting piece is it teaches, it teaches people how to give good direction, right? The best outcomes from ChatGPT or DALI is going to come from people who really can articulate what a vision is, either for the brand or the, the graphic or the essay, right? So that is a piece to learn. Learn how to give really good direction and be clear on what the vision is. I agree. And I actually was reading an article. Uh, we use a marketing agency, Black Bean, and they're out of Canada. They're, they're really, really good. They're really just dialed in. And they have a couple good articles on, um, on uh, AI and these chatbots that um, I was reading today. And one of them was about how it's going to be really good for like an outline, right? Mm-hmm. Give me an outline on a podcast or a, 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 say a blog post about the changing landscape of um, high pressure laminate and how it's evolved over the last 50 years. And then all of a sudden you get this outline and you're like, okay, I can work with that. And then you fill in the blanks and then that's you writing it, but they gave you that guidance based on what the general population probably wanted to hear. So I think areas like that, where you can get a combination of like that, that guidance, it's like having the world's best advisor at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a really smart use of it. Um, and you know, using, using that tool to better understand your audience to your point, right? ChatGPT has scanned thousands, millions of kind of people's requests to get to this. I, I like that. So I think, you know, what I, what I'll wrap up with is, you know, our industry is generally slow to adapt and move. They're not first movers. And I think, you know, some of the things that we've talked about today, the first movers are going to be the successful ones. And it's going to be people that are forward thinkers like yourself that say, let's do this. Let's take a flyer on material bank. Let's take a flyer on AI chat, whatever it is, but let's take that risk because we have to move quickly because it's going too fast right now to stay behind. You're going to lose if you stay behind. That's right. Businesses need to keep learning. That's how you that's how you live for 110 years as a, a company and 110 years more. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on today. We covered such great stuff and you were so concise and 
informative in your responses. I can't thank you enough. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And if you want more information um, about Amy uh, and Formica, you can go to www.formica.com. And you guys also have, you're on LinkedIn and um, Instagram. Yes. At Formica Group. group. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. This is Jessica with Build Green, Live Green.